Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 15 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead. Section 16. A man may have faith and yet be but almost a Christian. The stony ground, that is, those hearers set out by the stony ground, for a while believed. It is said that many believed in the name of Christ, yet Christ did not commit himself to them. Though they trusted in Christ, yet Christ would not trust them. Why not? Because he knew all men. He knew they were rotten at root, notwithstanding their new faith. A man may have all faith to remove mountains and yet be nothing. Objection. But how can this be that a man may have faith and yet be but almost a Christian? Does not our Lord Christ promise life eternal and salvation to all that believe. Is not this the gospel that is to be preached to every creature? He that believes shall be saved? Answer. Though it is true what our Lord Christ says, that he who believes shall be saved, yet it is true that many believe that shall never be saved. Simon Magus believed Yea, James said, the devils believe and tremble. Now none will say, these shall be saved. As it is true what the apostles said, all men have not faith. So it is as true that there are some men who have faith who are no whit the better for their faith. You must know, therefore, there is a twofold Faith, faith that is special and saving, faith that is common and not saving. There is a saving faith. This is called faith of the operation of God. It is a work of God's own spirit in the soul. It is such a faith as rests and casts the soul wholly upon Christ for grace and glory, pardon and peace, sanctification and salvation. It is a united act of the whole soul, understanding, will, and affections, all concurring to unite the soul to an all-sufficient Redeemer. It is such a faith as purifies the heart and makes it clean, it influences and gives strength and life to all other graces. Now, whoever has this faith is a Christian indeed. This is the faith of God's elect. But then, there is a common faith which is not saving, a fading and temporary faith. There is the faith of Simon Magus as well as the faith of Simon Peter. Simon Magus believed, and yet he was in the 
gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Now the faith of most men will at last be found to be no better than the faith of Simon Magus for, number one, the faith of most is but a temporary faith. It endures for a while and then dies and perishes. True saving faith, such as in the faith of God's elect, cannot die. It may fail in the act, but not in the habit. The sap may not be in the branch, but it is always in the root. That faith that perishes, a man may have and perish. Number two, there is a faith that lies only in generals, not in particulars. As there is a general and particular object of faith, so there is a general and particular faith. The general object of faith is the whole scripture. The particular object of faith is Christ in the promise. Now, many have a general faith to believe all the scripture and yet have no faith to make particular application of Jesus Christ in the promise. Devils and reprobates may believe the truth of the scripture and what is written of the dying and suffering of Christ for sinners. But there are but few that can close up themselves in the wounds of Christ and by his stripes fetch in healing to their own souls. Number three, there is a faith that is seated in the understanding, but not in the will. This is a very common faith. Many assent to the truth. They believe all the attributes of God, that he is just, holy, wise, faithful, good, merciful, etc. But yet they do not rest on him, notwithstanding. They believe the commands are true, but do not obey them. They believe the promises are true, but do not embrace and apply them. They believe the threatenings are true, but do not flee from them. Thus their faith lies in assent, but not consent. They have faith to confess a judgment, but none to take out execution. By assent they lay a foundation, but never build upon it. By application, they believe that Christ died to save them that believe, and yet they believe not in Christ, that they may be saved. Oh, my brethren, it is not a believing head, but a believing heart that makes a Christian. With the heart man believes to righteousness. Without this, our faith is vain, and we are yet in our sins. Number four, there is a faith without experience. Many believe the word upon hearsay to be the word of God, but they have never felt the power and virtue of it upon their hearts and consciences. Now, what good is it to believe the truth of the word 
if a man's conscience never felt the power of the word. What is it to believe the truth of the promise if we have never tasted the sweetness of the promise? We are, in this case, like a man who believes the descriptions other make of strange countries, but has never traveled there to know the truth. Or like a patient who believes all the physician says, but does not try any of his potions. We believe the word because we cannot gainsay it, but yet we have no experience of any saving good wrought by the word, and so are but almost Christians. Number five, there is a faith that is without brokenness of heart that does not avail to melt or soften the heart and therefore is not true faith. For the least true faith is ever joined with a bending will and a broken heart. Number six, there is a faith that does not transform the heart. Faith without fruit that does not bring forth the new creature in the soul, but leaves it in a state of sin and death. This is a faith that makes a man a sound professor, but not a sound believer. He believes the truth, but not as it is in Jesus, for then it would change and transform him into the likeness of Jesus. He believes that a man must be changed who would be saved, but yet is not savingly changed by believing. Thus, while others believe to salvation, he believes to damnation. For his web shall not become a garment, neither shall he cover himself with his work. Now then, if a man's faith may be but temporary, or may lie only in generals, or may be seated in the understanding only, or may be without experience, or may be without a broken heart, or without a new heart, surely then, a man may have faith, he may taste of this heavenly gift, and yet be but almost a Christian. Section 17. A man may go further yet. He may possibly have a love to the people of God, and yet be but almost a Christian. Every kind of love to those who are saints is not a proof of our saintship. Pharaoh loved Joseph and advanced him to the second place in the kingdom, yet Pharaoh was a wicked man. Ahab loved Jehoshaphat, made a league with him, and married his daughter Athaliah to Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son, yet Ahab was a wicked wretch. Objection. But, you will say, this seems to contradict the testimony of the scripture, for that makes love to the saints and people of God a sure proof of our regeneration and interest in life eternal. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Nay, the Spirit of God puts this as a characteristic distinction between saints and sinners. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. By brethren, we do not understand brethren by place, those who are of the same country or nation, such as are called brethren in Romans 9.3 or Acts 7.23.25, nor do we understand brethren by race, those who are descended of the same parents. Such are called brethren in James 1.2. But by brethren, we understand brethren by grace and supernatural regeneration, such as are the children of God. These are the brethren whom to love is a sure sign that we are the children of God. Answer. To this I answer that there is a love to the children of God, which is a proof of our being the children of God. For instance, when we love them for that very reason, as being the saints of God, when we love them for the image of God, which appears in them, because of the grace and holiness which shines forth in their conversation. This is truly commendable, to love the godly for godliness' sake, the saints for saintship. This is a sure testimony of our Christianity. The love of God in another is a good proof of the life of grace in ourselves. There can be no better evidence of the Spirit of Christ in us than to love the image of Christ in others. For this is a certain truth. A sinner cannot love a saint as such. An Israelite is an abomination to an Egyptian. There is a contrariety and natural enmity between the two seeds, between the children of the world and those whom the Father, in his eternal love, has chosen out of the world. This concludes episode 15 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead.